Hello, I'm Carl Helliker, and welcome to Book Chat. Today, we're pleased to welcome George Sheldon, the author of When the Smoke Cleared at Gettysburg, which, of course, is about the most momentous battle of the war. Um, George, please tell us, uh, how did you become interested in uh, the Battle of Gettysburg? Well, I, I got interested in the topic some time ago because I was lucky enough to find a, a document called the Sheldon Family Association uh, Library. And in that uh, document, which was by H.O. Uh, Sheldon, um, who I don't know whether I'm related to or not, he um, uh, traveled around the uh, United States in um, uh, the 1830s to 1860s, in the, uh, primarily in the Northeast, and I managed to find this magazine. And it's about uh, seven notebooks full. And as I was reading through it, I noticed like there would be a Sheldon that was killed at the Battle of Gettysburg or there would be another Sheldon that had an arm amputated at the Battle of Gettysburg. These little notations were in there. And, and it got me wondering about what happened really at the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, being a native of Pennsylvania and relatively close to uh, Gettysburg, I always knew about it, but that's what really sparked my interest in, in uh, learning much more about the battle. Good. Um, the, as, as you know, I mean, there have been many books, TV shows, magazine articles, written about Gettysburg has really captured the fascination of uh, America. How, uh, where does your book fit in this niche? How is it different? Well, I got thinking really after 9-11 how the city of Lancaster would handle a catastrophe even equal to uh, what happened on 9-11. And as I got to uh, think about that, um, these thoughts kept happening as far as what happened over in Gettysburg. Here we had an army of uh, 150,000 on both sides come into a town of only 2,400. Me being from Lancaster, we have a town of 65,000. How would we have handled uh, 21,000 wounded, 7,000 uh, fatalities, um, 5,000 dead animals laying in the streets and in the fields? It, it just seemed like an overwhelming thought. And that's what sparked my interest and in what made me start to go out and look for this. And as I started to dig into the uh, story, I found that I did have a really good story. And as a writer, it's just one of those things that, that once you smell the story, you start working on it. And uh, that's how the book uh, came about. Okay, well, let's, uh, before 9-11, let's go back to, to Gettysburg right on the eve of the uh, battle. Can you describe for us just as briefly the battle, what led up to it, and how did the citizens of Adams County in Gettysburg uh, feel? What was their feeling on the eve of the battle? Well, it, it's a very interesting time. Gettysburg, at, at that particular point prior to the battle, was a little town that nobody ever heard of. Um, out in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania farm fields, town of about 2,400 people, very political. Um, there was uh, staunch Republicans and staunch Democrats. The uh, people that lived in the town were primarily uh, Republicans. The uh, Gettysburg farmers, the, er the uh, people that were living uh, out in the county areas were leaning a little bit more toward the Democrats. Remember that the Republicans were pro-Union, the Democrats were a little bit more pro-South. Gettysburg was also strategically located in that it was only uh, five miles from the Maryland border. Uh, there was a lot of, um, a lot of uh, anxiety over the invasion, uh, a pending invasion. And in the book, I kept bringing this up a couple different places where um, suddenly we heard from, uh, uh, there would be a rider come into town and they would be yelling that uh, Hanover was being shelled and Gettysburg was next. Um, one night what they did is they fired up the train engine and decided to uh, uh, go down and investigate whether that claim was true. Uh, they came back right around daybreak and the story was not true. So the people were a little bit nervous. They certainly knew um, that, the, uh, that they were in the path, if you will, of a Confederate invasion. And the invasion into Pennsylvania was not a well-kept secret. 
uh, as the army, uh, the Southern army started to come into Pennsylvania, um, went over to Chambersburg, people from Chambersburg fled, and the first place they fled to was Gettysburg. So the people of Gettysburg certainly knew um, that, that uh, there was an invasion underway, which made them even more nervous. Gettysburg at the time also had three newspapers, two staunch Republican newspapers, one staunch uh, Democratic paper. They had the Telegraph, so they were well attuned as to what was going on, um, not just in their own county, but in Pennsylvania as well as in the nation. They were, they were certainly tuned into knowing what was happening as far as the war was progressing. And, and how critical was this battle to the South? To the southern cause. Well, after they uh, after the, the result of the battle, the Southerners were never able to uh, uh, invade Pennsylvania again. There was just the one excursion where it was a punishing raid that came into Chambersburg, where they burnt down the town in retaliation for what had happened in Virginia. But they were never able again to um, uh, mount any type of invasion into the north. Um, many people will say, many scholars uh, will certainly agree that what happened at Gettysburg in those three days is certainly what uh, uh, decided whether the nation would be as we know it today. Because if, um, if Gettysburg did fall to the south, that would have been their strategic base for attacks on Philadelphia and other points north, is that right. correct? They, they were heading toward uh, Harrisburg. They wanted mm -hmm. to capture a northern capital. Mm -hmm. The uh, plan seemed to be to come to Lancaster, um, and then they would have the Confederate Army on both sides of the Susquehanna go up and uh, capture Harrisburg, which had many vital links, including not only being the state capital, but also the railroad. And then they were marching uh, east uh, to come to Philadelphia, and all in the hopes, of course, of getting the North to sue for peace. Now, uh, another point you bring up in, in your book is that Gettysburg had a significant number of African Americans at, the, at this time. How were they treated generally? And what special threat did they feel about an impending invasion? Well, the African-Americans that lived in uh, Gettysburg fled. Um, they knew from what was going on in Chambersburg that uh, they would be captured and taken back to the South, labeled contraband. So many of them fled. Many of them never returned. Uh, because of what the Confederate invasion, um, they lost their property. Um, some of them lost, um, who, who did return, but they lost uh, property damage. Their buildings were damaged. Their crops uh, were damaged and destroyed. They were never compensated for it. Some left. Some fled to uh, Canada, were never heard from again. Others fled to Harrisburg for protection, and some went over to uh, Lancaster for protection. And of course, at this, at this point, there was no provision for uh, African-Americans in the Union Army, is that correct? Well, there, there was starting to be some uh, uh, black um, soldiers at that time, mm -hmm. um, but they weren't recognized, they weren't organized, they were, certainly were not part of the Gettysburg Blues, which was the Adams County uh, Regiment. Fine. Uh, <laughs> Who was Mag Palm, and, and why were the Confederates so e eager to capture her? Well, th there's many different uh, neat stories about some of the different African-Americans that lived in uh, Gettysburg. She was one of the people that was well-known um, in, in the entire town. She was the one, one of the uh, people that everybody knew, and she was just one of them that they were, they were going to capture. They did take her, and as they were marching her through town, she somehow managed to escape from the Confederates. She actually spent three days then in, the, uh, in a belfry and the uh, church uh, hiding, um, which was really a miracle. She only came out really uh, after the battle had ended. Um, but she was lucky that uh, she was able to uh, um, not uh, be taken back and wasn't one of the actual prisoners that they did take. We were talking about the situation for African-Americans in Gettysburg. I was just curious, did Gettysburg and Adams County play any particular role in the whole issue of runaway slaves? Well, 
Pennsylvania, and particularly the area where we're at down here, um, became uh, well known uh, early on that this was not a place to lose a slave. And if, in fact, a slave uh, got into uh, this part of Pennsylvania, the, um, the, southerner, the southern owner lost a slave. In fact, one of the people that uh, knew that long, uh, long before Gettysburg was uh, George Washington. And he lost even a slave to uh, one that managed to make it to this area. Over in the Gettysburg area, there were slaves. There are certainly some records of slaves that were uh, brought there initially to help do the labor to build uh, Gettysburg when it was first being founded. Um, it was an area that um, there, there was uh, uh, a safe haven. Again, we were above the uh, Mason-Dixon line. It certainly was not a slave area. In other words, like you could have slaves or maintain any type of slavery. Of course, in Pennsylvania by that time, um, it was outlawed and there was no slaves as far as somebody actually owning another person. That uh, was all done away just around the time when uh, Adams County was forming as a county, breaking away from York County. Mm -hmm. Right. I was, I was talking more in terms of uh, the southern, not the northern, but so much the southerners coming up, which, which you answered nicely uh, for us. Um, what action did the uh, residents of Gettysburg take when they uh, initially met the Confederates in their hometown? Well, they, as I was saying, that they, they certainly was not a big surprise that the Confederates were coming. The uh, people who were um, uh, the town fathers fled. They knew from what had happened at Chambersburg that they would be taken as prisoners of war and taken back to the South, uh, put in prisoner, prison camps. Anybody that had any association at all with the federal government, for example, the postmaster, um, they, they knew that they would be uh, captured and taken back. The African-Americans, as we said, all, they fled right away too. Remember too that at this time that the, the younger men were gone. They were uh, part of the army. They had enlisted and uh, became part of the Gettysburg Blues. They had uh, uh, joined the army and they had left. So who was left in the town were the very elderly men, um, very young boys, and then of course the women and um, young, young kids, uh, the elderly. That was it. The town had certainly broken apart. As the word became very clear, and, and the people, the residents of Gettysburg could tell that the Confederates were getting closer. They could see over in Southern Mountain campfires burning, so they knew that the Confederates were on their way. It was not a uh, major secret uh, that they were coming. And as they came into town, they were certainly greeted, um, but they weren't greeted joyously. The people of Gettysburg were not pro-South. And of course, they were very apprehensive. They didn't know what was going to actually happen. When uh, Jubal Early, general uh, from the South, came into town, uh, he laid a levy onto the town. And he wanted a certain amount of supplies and a certain amount of, uh, of uh, goods for his troops. The Confederates more or less lived off the land where the uh, uh, Federal Army, they took their own supplies. But uh, what they would do is requisition things. The people of Gettysburg were quite astute at uh, handling their money, and they did not want the Confederate money that the uh, Confederates would offer in payment for their goods. So this was another thing that they did as the Confederate forces came. They quickly emptied their stores. They shipped things away, put it on the train, um, got it out on freight cars, got it out on wagons. They did everything they could to empty their stores. In a compromise, the general uh, made a deal with the uh, mayor and said, we'll open up our stores. You can have, buy whatever's here. The general accepted that and found very little. And of course, then he marched on to York, put a levy on York, and York surrendered their town, uh, marched over toward um, the Susquehanna River and the idea of capturing the uh, bridge. But the bridge defenders burnt the bridge down, and that didn't happen. And he was ordered back by Lee to get back to uh, uh, Gettysburg because of the battle um, looming.
Well, how, how long then before uh, Union troops arrived at Gettysburg? The Union troops started to arrive in real force in the, uh, on June 30th. Um, General um, Buford's men, the cavalry came in and they were well greeted. They were, it was uh, almost like saviors, I suppose, to the, the people coming in. There was the first real thought that they had that their town would be defended. They were quite concerned the town would be shelled. They didn't, they didn't know what the Confederates would actually do to their town. So Buford's men, when they came in, they were uh, uh, well greeted. They ended up camping right near the college. Um, and then Buford starts setting up the strategy that he had deployed to be able to uh, engage the uh, to engage the Confederate forces, uh, waiting for the rest of the Federal Army to arrive. An intriguing part of your book is a section that's called Three Days That Changed Everything." What actually did change as a result of the battle? Well, Gettysburg's never been the same. If you think about it, after the uh, battle, um, this little town, this little sleepy town that nobody's heard of, has been changed and changed forever primarily because of what happened with that particular battle. It's still changed to this day. Four million visitors go to a town um, in south central Pennsylvania, um, and, and it's still uh, well known. It's the, the words that uh, our president at the time said are probably some of the most cherished words in the American uh, um, uh, language of, of English. So things have certainly changed just because of what happened in those three days. The battle obviously was one of the most uh, brutal battles that you could ever uh, uh, imagine. The uh, injuries, the wounds were, were severe. Uh, many people are, are, misbeled, are, are misbelieved that there was 51,000 uh, killed, there's 51,000 casualties, and that included missing, um, dead, wounded. Mm -hmm. There was uh, approximately 7,000 uh, uh, dead, uh, about 21,000 federal soldiers that were um, wounded federal and, and confederate there was five thousand dead animals and the mess that this just created is just overwhelming and this is where the story to me really really took on if you think about it um, we had a town uh, of 2400 and a sleepy little community and suddenly there's 150,000 uh, people that that invade this town at that time the water supply became totally inadequate the uh, water certainly became polluted there's certainly many examples um, where people said they became sick after the battle and it's primarily because of the polluted water the privies were overrunning um, it just became a uh, disastrous time I was recently up in State College um, talking about uh, the invasion of, of this force but the people in State College were not very impressed because they get that every other weekend. <laughs> That's true with the uh, invasion of the uh, football fans, right. I guess. Um, just uh, briefly before we go to break, an intriguing quote I heard one time, uh, it, could, it said that the Civil War was the last medieval battle fought. Is that something you would agree with? Does that seem to make sense to you? It certainly seems to me like a very brutal uh, way to fight a war. If you think about the uh, the um, swords that they were using, the uh, uh, bayonets that they were using, the big uh, bullets that were there made terrible and horrifying wounds and injuries. I believe that's a pretty good way to describe what the battle scenes had to be like. Uh, George, you spend much of your book talking about how Gettys form, Gettysburg was transformed into a large hospital. Can you explain that, please? Yes. Um, as, as wounds, first of all, the battle didn't happen all in one day or at one time. So uh, there was some wounded uh, they would take the wounded off the fields. They would take them to any available building. Um, sometimes the field hospitals were set up actually even in farms and in barns, um, barnyards and stables, and, and certainly what we would describe as septic conditions. And of course, then there'd be more engagement of different troops, more wounds, more injuries, and all the public buildings turned into uh, field hospitals. 
and the surgeons at the time, uh, many of them were certainly not what we would describe as qualified in, in today's uh, standards, uh, were there to, to try their best. And surprisingly, um, lack of uh, certainly medical knowledge, you could be a surgeon in those days if you were deemed to be good with your hands, um, you uh, could perform a uh, amputation in less than 15 minutes which sort of surprised me that they were that efficient with it. Quickly, uh, uh, discarded limbs were placed outside the field hospitals, and um, the shrieks and yells that we hear, really not like a Hollywood movie, um, but more from the other soldiers that suddenly learned what their fate would be, or they were watching what was going on. Luckily at the time, medical science did have chloroform, and they were able to knock out the patient. And they became quite, quite uh, proficient. Um, from the time that a surgeon started working on you till the time that you were back in your bed recovering from the uh, amputation, um, all of about 15 minutes. If you had any kind of uh, uh, injury or wound to your arm or your leg, to any of the extremities where you had uh, a broken bone or that the blood vessel had been uh, damaged in any way, that was the sign to be amputated. If it was a shot to the, um, uh, to the head or the, the torso, then you were just pretty much left aside and the wound was considered to be mortal. The uh, surgeons became, like I said, very proficient, but the conditions were absolutely septic. They didn't know much about germs or bacteria in those days. Surprisingly, the Confederates had a, a better uh, success rate of um, people recovering. And the reason being is that uh, many times the wounds were dirtier, they were kept in dirtier places, and um, they would get maggot infestations. But the maggots were beneficial in that they were cleaning up uh, right. deadly bacteria. Uh, what was the U.S. Sanitary Commission, Commission and what was its role after the battle? Well, interestingly, um, the, the Army didn't really take a whole lot of personal care in a wounded soldier. Uh, many times wounded soldiers weren't even fed which I found was an absolutely interesting uh, uh, concept. But what the uh, Sanitary Commission would do is that they would come in and they would uh, provide all kinds of different uh, services, if you will, for the soldiers, including nursing services. The only people really that were nurses up prior to this time were, were bad soldiers, people that were soldiers that weren't very good. Many times they were drinkers, uh, they were uh, intoxicated, they would break into the medicinal brandy and uh, become intoxicated. Um, they weren't very good soldiers, so they were put over into the ambulance corps. And what the, the sanitary commission was, was to try to provide some relief for the soldiers. They would do things such as provide, after they were wounded, to provide things such as food, provide things like um, blankets and, and uh, even combs. Uh, which was one of the things that was that the soldiers needed, um, the little personal care items, very much uh, sort of like what was happening recently where some citizens were getting together different things uh, and sending over to our soldiers. Um, but this was what the, the sanitary commission was. It was, uh, they, were the, where, they were the ones that would provide things such as um, food and uh, also provide things such as um, bandages, uh, all kinds of necessities that you would need trying to recover or recoup from those uh, terrible wounds that you may have had. And who oversaw the actual cleanup of Gettysburg? Well, after, after the, uh, on the third day, the end of the third day, uh, Meade actually, General Meade of the Federals, actually uh, thought there would be another counterattack. But at that time, General Lee, and, and if you think about it, he was the only one that really knew the battle was over and when he decided to withdraw. On the 4th, July 4th, um, he started the withdrawal process. We started to become aware of it on the federal side late in the day, um, but there was cleanup process and so forth. But General Meade then started to chase uh, Lee. 
And of course, there was this tremendous cleanup problem, if you think about it, because of how serious many of the Confederates were uh, wounded. They were left behind. Some were taken in a wagon train. The train was uh, described as being 21 uh, miles long, uh, trying to get the wounded back to uh, Virginia, back to the south. Um, the, the Federals, if you will, they started chasing Lee. And of course, there was more reinforcements kept coming in. Um, General Couch assigned uh, Colonel Alleman, which was in a temporary emergency infantry that was uh, uh, called together, but it was called together too late to actually arrive at the time of the battle. But they were sent down through um, uh, Harrisburg, sent down, and they were sort of like what we would now describe as a National Guard service. And for the next 30 days, 30 odd days, they're the ones that actually took over the, the control of the battlefield, started to gather up um, all the different uh, uh, material that was left, the uh, federally owned material, um, the weaponry, uh, gathered up stray prisoners, and also then started to do things such as gathering up the uh, wounded. And this is where the first big general hospital was established, um, really through their work out on off of Route 30 at a place called Camp Letterman. And what's left of Camp Letterman today is nothing more than just a little monument um, right across from McDonald's. The whole area is being uh, built up and, and that area is really disappearing now. All right, so it's a more or less a martial law situation almost. Yeah, that's exactly what, what we would describe it as today. Mm -hmm. People were out stealing from the uh, battlefield. Sightseers started to come. Mm -hmm. People were trying to uh, take scrap. And as they mm -hmm. were um, doing that, if they were caught stealing um, any type of uh, government property, they were taken before the provost marshal. And their penalty usually was to have to go out and help bury the dead animals. Uh, how many uh, casualties, just sort of winding up there, resulted from the battle. I, th I think you did mention it earlier, but just once more to reinforce the number of deaths, the number of wounds. And Seven, 7,000, and all these numbers are approximate. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows the exact yeah. number, but 7,000 dead, uh, 5,000 dead animals, which created a huge problem right. in, in among itself, and 21,000 wounded. And then there was a total of 50,000 uh, 50, casualties. That would be the 21 plus seven, but that also then would be missing uh, soldiers that disappeared, never, never saw them again, prisoners of war and so forth. Right, uh, a grim scene. But uh, now that we're so far removed from those actual times, how is the battle remembered and commemorated today? And, and what does it actually come to uh, mean in American history? Well, scholars will certainly uh, say that this battle decided America, the, the future of America. Um, every year, there's always a huge reenactment over in Gettysburg. Usually on, the, they try to do it on July 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. Depends on the holiday. It usually goes across the weekend. There's always a second celebration, which is usually um, around the third week in November, third weekend, and that's called Founders Day. Um, that's also where they um, celebrate Gettysburg, the Gettysburg Address, and that's another big celebration. Um, it seems like when we hit even years, such as what we are this year, um, the 140th anniversary, that also seems like a uh, magic time, if you will, that, that there's a little bit more uh, notoriety that goes on. The park is still growing. The park is still uh, maintained by many different people that are interested in the history as to what happened over there. Um, there's all, they're now building a new um, uh, visitor center. So the, the, the area is certainly uh, uh, well visited, well uh, appreciated by many Americans. About four million people visit Gettysburg every year. Well, it's certainly become a very important part of our history. And George Sheldon, I would like to thank you for joining us today on Book Chat. And I encourage all our viewers to come in and check out the book or buy a copy of When the Smoke Cleared at Gettysburg. I'm Carl Hallecker, and this is Book Chat.